Uh, so let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 18 through 22 tonight. Uh, and uh, let's pray and ask our Lord to bless the reading of his word here this evening. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open up the Bible, we pray right now that you would bless the reading of your word, anoint it, give it life, and I pray for myself that you will help me, Father, to share your word, Lord God, with boldness and with clarity. Again, Lord God, we humble ourselves and we ask you, Lord God, to help me to organize my thoughts and my words, that it would flow and that it would make sense and that it would touch our hearts. For those that are listening, Lord God, either physically here in church or through our online services on YouTube and on Facebook, bless and encourage them. Help them to focus on the Word of God here tonight, that they would not be distracted by the phone or by activities at home or anything else that's going on, that they would just give this time to you, Lord, and to your Word so that we can learn and grow and experience your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, it says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, for those of you that have been keeping up with our Bible studies here in Colossians, uh, you know that we focused last week on verse 21. Verse 21 says this, fathers, do not embitter your children. And when it says fathers, it's really, it really means parents, both mom and dad. Fathers or parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And I mentioned that this is a very challenging verse of scripture because I believe that all of us agree, whether you're Christians or non-Christians, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, all of us agree that it's the main responsibility of the parents to raise and teach and nurture and guide and to train and to model and to bring up our children. Somehow, someway, parents, you have to train your kids. You have to prepare them for life and teach them what life is all about. Get them prepared for some kind of a career, some kind of a, a life that you want them to live and to be responsible. It's up to the parents to do that. And for us, those of us who are Christians, it is extremely important that we raise and teach our children in the ways of God. And I'm speaking directly to Christians, Christian parents. If you're not a Christian and you don't follow Jesus and you don't believe in the Bible, you're going to run your program however you're going to run it. And God bless you and good luck. But for you who are Christians, God gives us specific guidelines to follow in how we are to raise our kids. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says this, And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So God expects for you and I who are Christian parents to teach our children the things of God, the ways of God, the laws of God, the righteousness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 
verses 18 through 28, says this, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. So parents out there, it's our responsibility to do the best that we can to raise our kids in the fear of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord, and to try to guide them in the right way. That's our responsibility. Now, it's the, our, our children have their own free will, and that's a whole other story, but it doesn't negate our responsibility to teach our kids. For all of us who are Christian parents, I believe that we can all agree that this responsibility to raise our kids up in the fear of God and in the teachings of God can be very challenging today, especially because we have very little support from our culture and institutions around us. Basically, we're on our own, church. We are on our own to do the best that we can to teach and to guide our kids in the ways of God. We're not going to get support from anywhere else. But last week, we learned that there has to be a balance of both discipline and love as we raise our children up. There will be times that we will celebrate our children's successes and accomplishments. And I shared a couple of verses in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. Good News Translation says this, Wise children make their fathers proud of them. And Proverbs 10, verse 1 in the NIV version, A wise son brings joy to his father. So again, when our kids do good, we need to encourage that. We need to bless them in that, and we need to support them in that. However, it's our responsibility is to love our children enough to discipline them when they are out of line or when they don't do what's right. That's a sign of love, to discipline them when they're not doing right. Hebrews 12, 6, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says this, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. If you love your kids, if you see them doing wrong, you've got to discipline them. You've got to correct them. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. But the challenge that we learned about last week, the challenge for us as parents is this. If we discipline them too harshly, the Bible tells us that instead of helping them, we will harm them by breaking their spirits 
and they will become discouraged. We don't want to discourage them. We want to try to teach them. But at the same time, if we're too lenient or don't discipline them at all or don't have the courage to correct them, it takes courage to be a parent. It takes courage to teach kids of of the ways of God. And if we don't have the courage to correct them, it will ruin them and lead to their disgrace and failure. I want to say this to all of you parents out there that are struggling. If you need help with developing correct or biblical parenting skills. We have a great class that we offer here called Godly Parenting. That's taught by our brother and sister Mel and Bessie Wilson. It's an excellent class. We have other classes that are uh, taught by our sister, Reverend Maddie Hall, uh, to help us raise our children and to help us with all these different things, that we, all these different situations that we face as parents. Please take advantage of these classes if you need help or if you need encouragement in how to be a, a good parent to your children, okay? And here's where you and I and all of us who are parents need to realize how important it is to rely on God to help us. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit to give us the discernment and the wisdom that we need. We need for God to help us to know when to be strong and firm with our child. And we need for God to help us to know when to be gentle and loving and compassionate toward our child. And believe me, you're going to need God's help to be able to help you to know when to do what. And the only one that can help us to know the difference is God. The only one that can help us to know what to do is God. The only one that can help us to do the right thing at the right time, at the right moment, under the right circumstances is God. You need to cry out to God to help you. And it gets even more complicated because the type of discipline that works for one of your kids may not work for the other. Every one of our kids is wired differently. Every one of our kids is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of our kids is unique and special, and it's a riddle and a puzzle trying to figure out how to be effective in reaching their hearts and in trying to teach them what is right. I want to, I don't, Mel Wilson, I don't know if you're watching right now, but I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the video that you shared last week. A lot of people uh, wrote to me and commented and let me know that they were very blessed by that. So thank you. And uh, Mal shared his experience growing up. He was raised by a single mom, never knew his dad. But his mom, even though she was single, she believed in God. She applied these principles to raising him up. And he shares this a lot with the men and the men's Bible study. That's why I wanted him to share it with all of you last week. And you can watch it if you want. It's recorded. And she just followed the Bible. And you know what? It helped Mel to become a responsible adult young man, a good father, a good husband, and a man of God. Why? Because his mother had the courage to discipline him when he got out of line, and the mother was willing to love him and encourage him when he did good. That's what we want to work towards. James chapter 1, verse 5, again, for you that are needing help in raising your kids. If any of you lacks wisdom, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. And it will be given to you. All God is waiting for is for you to cry out for him. And he says, I will give you the wisdom that you need to know what to do in any circumstance. Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Have any of you felt like that? Ever felt like that? Where you just don't even know how to pray? 
there's all kinds of chaos. There's all kinds of madness. There's all kinds of drama. There's all kinds of emotions. Everyone's getting all upset and frustrated and discouraged. And you don't know what to do. Well, guess what? It says here, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I want to encourage you guys to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to seek the gift of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, worshiping and praising in tongues. That is a beautiful, beautiful tool that God gives us to pray for. And you know what? At night, when your kids are out there or when they leave for school or whatever, go into their rooms, pray over them, anoint their rooms with oil, pray in the Spirit. Believe me, all of that will help you to raise your kids up in the fear of God. Now, we're going to move on to verse 22. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, here's what many would consider today a very controversial verse of Scripture. It talks about slaves and masters. In the days of Christ, the unfortunate reality is that in the days of Christ, slavery was still very much alive throughout the known world, and God had the courage through his disciples to address it, to deal with it. But it was a reality throughout the known world. In the days of Christ, the Roman government was the dominant force in the world, if you, ch- if you study history at all, especially church history, the Roman army and the Caesars of Rome were ruthless. They were, they were, they were crazy in the way they conquered other lands. They would conquer territory after territory. And the reality is that whenever one group of peoples would conquer another group of peoples, those that were conquered would, would either, those that were conquered were either executed or they were forced to become slaves. Sometimes the conqueror would literally ask them, do you want to die or do you want to become a slave? You make your choice. If you want to die, we'll kill you right now. But if you want to live, you're going to be willing to be a slave and do exactly what we want you to do. And a lot of people chose to be slaves. They were conquered, and that's the way it was at that time. Sadly, slavery was even practiced in our nation. I want to go ahead and show this short video. Uh, It's about 7 minutes and 40 seconds that I want to show. It's actually longer, but I just want to show this short video of of the reality of slavery and our nation. And uh, we're going to try to coordinate it with our live show here at church and our media services through our uh, online services. Okay, so let's watch a short video clip of a history of slavery in our own nation, the United States of America.
Slavery is a system of forced labor that has existed throughout the world for thousands of years. In America, slavery began in the 17th century when people in Africa were overpowered and forced to leave their native land, their culture, and their families behind. Europeans uh, and others did not simply march into Africa and just take people off. I mean, there were battles, there were wars that were, were lost, you know, by the British, by the French, by the Portuguese, as well as those which were won. You had um, males and females leading forces against the enslavers. Europeans responded by coercing one tribe to enslave another, threatening to arm their enemies with terrifying new weapons if they did not cooperate. These tribal slave traders selected strong, healthy males and females between the ages of 18 and 35, although children were often captured as well. The African captives were chained together at the ankle or wrist are linked at the neck by a wooden yoke. Once bound, the captives embarked on a grueling march, sometimes as long as 600 miles to the coast where European ships awaited them. Many perished from the rigors of the trip. Others resisted their captors and were killed. The Atlantic crossing took from four to eight weeks. Men, women, and children were crowded into tightly packed quarters. The ordeal was so demoralizing that the Africans often sank into a deep depression. Some chose death rather than to endure the degradation. They attempted to escape on, on ships uh, by simply, if the opportunity offered itself, by, uh, by leaping off and uh, drowning or, or whatever. Uh, once they were bound by the uh, continental uh, United States, uh, the um, protest took the form more of insurrection. The first slaves in the American colonies, a cargo of about 20 Africans, arrived at Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. The number of enslaved Africans increased steadily each year. By 1763, the colonial population included an estimated 230,000 Africans, most of them slaves in the South. A slave was someone who could be forced to work from the age of eight, six, four even, long hours at tasks that someone else decided. A slave was a person who had no right to a vacation. A slave was a person who had no rights to wages. A slave could have no property. A slave could not marry. By the late 18th century, the textile industry had entered a period of rapid development in both England and in the northern United States. This growth created a tremendous demand for southern cotton. In 1793, Eli Whitney developed the cotton gin, a machine that cleaned cotton five times faster than manual methods. As a result, more slaves were needed to pick and haul the cotton. By 1860, there would be four million African slaves in the United States. This enormous population of slaves was owned by a small group of the wealthiest and most powerful whites in American society. As African slaves toiled in the fields, 
laws were created to enforce their low status. They were prohibited from participating in lawsuits, from owning property or firearms, and from possessing alcohol. Most states did not recognize slave marriages and often prohibited slaves from learning to read and write. The treatment slaves received from their masters varied tremendously. Some owners were brutal sadists who worked their slaves mercilessly and threatened them with corporal discipline so painful that it amounted to torture. And if you were ordered to do a task that you knew would be dangerous to you, you had to do it. So even though it's tempting to put poverty and slavery together, they were very different. And the difference is that enslaved workers had no rights. A slave had no protection from this mistreatment because the law considered a slave another man's property, not a human being. When a slave suffered a whipping, he could neither fight back nor take his master to court. Slaves developed an independent culture unknown to their masters. They spun fantastic spoken narratives that passed from one generation to the next. These folk tales expressed the enslaved Africans' aspirations for a better life. Many slaves found strength to endure oppression through their religion, which blended Christianity with African beliefs. Spirituality was a strong force in the life of the slave. Slaves could turn to God with all of their problems. Slaves could ask God to either relieve them of the burden of a brutal slave master or to free them from the day-to-day struggle in their lives. At the core of slave society was the family. Slave families suffered when one member was sold to another plantation. Owners usually kept women and children together, selling off the father and sons. On the well-established plantations, black families had a better chance of remaining intact, some enduring for three or four generations. Although religion, folk tales, and family life softened the horrors of slavery, they did not lessen the humiliating aspects of servitude. All right. That's just a little bit of information about the history of slavery in America. It's a very, very sad uh, reality of our nation. Okay. And uh, this video just gives us a small glimpse of what that looked like. But no matter how you look at it, slavery is a terrible injustice to any human being. It is a horrible and immoral issue. And today it is actually illegal. So you can try to imagine how difficult it must have been for Christian slaves that were under bondage of the Roman conquerors to honor this instruction given to us as Christians in Colossians 3.22. And you can try to imagine how difficult it must have been for Christian slaves that were under the bondage of white landowners during the times when slavery was legal in the United States of America to uh, honor Colossians 3.22. What does Colossians 3.22 say? It says, slaves... Obey your earthly masters in everything, 
and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. This instruction is also repeated in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Listen to what it says here. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So the best thing that literally a slave could do at that time in history was to pray for their human masters that they would get saved. And then hopefully then uh, that saved individual, that saved master would treat them a little bit better. But even then, if we look at U.S. history, white slave owners that supposedly were church going and God fearing people had no convictions about owning slaves or abusing slaves. So even then, it was very, very difficult. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 continues on the same theme, and it says this, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, I hate to make this more painful than it already is, but this instruction is also repeated in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. I know this is not a pleasant topic, but let me just say to you what the Bible says here. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That's a hard word right there. Let me read that again. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. The only comfort that slaves could receive during this time of history when this was allowed and this kind of treatment was going on, the only comfort that a slave had was to remember that Christ himself was whipped. Christ himself was humiliated. Christ himself was beaten. Christ himself was tortured and abused and spit at and murdered on a cross. All of this unjustly. He didn't even deserve it. That's the only comfort that a slave could receive while they themselves were going through this type of suffering. 
Slavery in America ended on December the 6th. 1865 with the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Today in America, because of the recent deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, we recently experienced the reality that racial tension still exists in our nation. Even though slavery was abolished on December 1865, this There's still racial tension. There's still a lot of prejudice. There's still a lot of discrimination. And we see the evidence of that all over the place. And, uh, and, and sadly, a jury will now have to determine whether these men were actually murdered. We need to continue to pray for our country. We need to pray that the reforms that our leaders are trying to develop will, will, will stop these types of abuses, will stop and hopefully bring correction, uh, and that this kind of treatment of human beings will be prevented in the future. We have to pray for our country and pray for these reforms and pray for the upcoming trials of these people that, uh, that cause these deaths to these individuals. So even though we don't have slavery in America anymore, we do have a workforce. All of us have to work. Okay, we have employers and we have employees. And if you're an employer or an employee and you are a Christian, then these principles that are laid out in Colossians 3.22, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, apply to you and I today. Yes, we do not have slavery today, but we have a workforce And if you are an employee, you may not be a slave, but you are expected to give your all when you show up to work. If you're an employer, it is important that you pay fair wages to your workforce, to your employees, to provide a safe environment for your employees, to that you treat those whom you employ with dignity and with respect. These laws or these words that are found in the Bible still apply. If you are an employee, it is important that you respect and honor your employer, that you work hard and not take advantage of your employer by being lazy, that you be honest and not steal or cheat from your employer. That means you can't even take a pencil. You cannot even take a paper clip. You cannot even take a piece of paper unless you get permission. And if you have, you need to repent. Forgive me, Lord, for taking that paper clip from my boss. It doesn't belong to you. And we cannot take this lightly. I hope that you guys understand what I'm saying. Okay? You need to be honest, not steal, not cheat from your employer. And you need to show up on time. You need to be responsible and you need to show up on time. In either case, the Bible is very specific and instructs us to serve as if we were serving Christ and not man. So employers, you're employing people as if you were employing Jesus Christ himself. Employees, you're working for someone as if you were working for Jesus Christ himself. That means you do it to the best of your ability with all of your heart and with a good attitude. The good thing is this. If you are an employee and you feel that your employer is unreasonable or unfair, you have the right to quit your job. And if you're an employer and you feel that your employee is being irresponsible or not doing his or her job well, you have the right to fire them. But even with all of this, let me ask you this question. Even today, in 2020, when it comes to the workforce and employers and employees and management and corporations and, and, and everyone out there that's, that's trying to do their best that they can to survive, are there still people who abuse others in the workplace? 
Sadly, yes, there is. Many, many times, my heart goes out to perhaps like the Native Americans of our, of our country who have been taken advantage of for since, uh, since uh, the United States became a nation. And many times when I see the laborers out there in the corners, and we can get into all the debate about immigration and illegal immigration and all this and that, all I know is these guys are out there and they're looking for work and they're laborers and they will work for a very minimal amount of money. But what really burns me, what really hurts me personally, is that when someone hires these guys Mainly, they come from Latin America, from very, very poor situations. Uh, they're hungry. They're starving. They're struggling. They're just trying to make it. Okay. And again, we can debate whether they should be here or not, but they're here and they're looking for work and they want to get some food. And what really burns me or hurts me is when somebody hires them and then they don't pay them. That's what really burns me. Even as a Christian, as a pastor, man, when I, when I hear that, and when I see that happening, man, I want to get in my flesh and I just want to go off on someone because that is a terrible thing to do. To hire someone and to have them work all day and bust their back and usually the work that they do is very hard work and at the end of the day, because they're maybe illegal immigrants, they know that they're scared, they know that they have no rights, they know that they can't go to the police, they know that they're not going to get reported and the person that hires them doesn't pay them because they know that they can't do anything about it. That's a real sad situation but it happens almost every day in our nation because people abuse these kinds of situations. So sadly, these kinds of things still go on. The only hope that we have to get it right is this book right here, church. We have to follow the instructions that are given to us by God so that we can learn how to treat each other with respect and with dignity. And like I said, I pray that those people that are working on the reforms to help our police officers, to help our citizens, to help some of this stuff, and, and to bring healing to the, the hurt and to the pain of our country, I hope that God gives them the wisdom that they need to make this nation greater than it already is. Can you say amen, church? Proverbs 3.27 says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. In other words, God is saying, when you have the ability to bless someone, bless them. Don't do them harm. Don't hurt them. Don't abuse them. No. If it's in your power to help them and to bless them, do it. And then God will bless you. I want to read one final scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Final scripture says this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. In other words, when we come to Christ, regardless of what our situation is, He sets us free. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. The only one that has a right 
to enslave anybody is Jesus Christ. We now belong to him. We serve him. Our life belongs to him. And thank God, the Bible says, he is not a cruel taskmaster. No, 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 no. He's not like the Egyptians were to the Hebrews. No, no, no. He's not like the devil. The devil, you may think that he's he, you're getting a free ride and that it's party time and that everything's good. But when you end up in prison, you're going to find out that there's a price to pay. When you end up in the hospital, all sick and all messed up, then you're going to find out that there's a price to pay. When you end up in juvenile hall or divorced or out in the streets because you, you were following the devil, instead of following God, you're going to find out that there's a price to pay for sin. But when you follow Jesus, when you become a slave to Christ and the righteousness that he demands from us, believe me, God says he will give you life, abundant life, peace and good, because that's who our God is. Where you, it says here, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Trust Jesus. Trust the Lord. Allow him to be your Lord and your master and your God and the one that you follow all the days of your life because in the end, you will have life, abundant life, eternal life, and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know this is a very difficult subject to talk about. I thank you, God, that slavery, as far as we know it, Lord God, has been abolished in our nation. We know, Lord God, that it's still around in other cultures and other nations. We know, Lord God, that there's uh, people being kidnapped and sold in the slave markets of the world, Lord God. Children are being kidnapped. Uh, people are being kidnapped and sold in the slave market, out in the, uh, in the underground slave market, Lord. It's a very sad thing. It's a very sad reality. And those people need to repent. And those people need you, Jesus, to set them free. And we pray, Father, for this abuse and this horrible uh, enslavement that happens uh, between people, Lord. We pray for healing and conviction and repentance. But right now, God, we want to just pray for those, Lord God, that are hurting or discouraged. Lord Jesus, those that are enslaved and in bondage to sin, those that are in darkness and on their way to hell right now, that is a form of bondage. That is a form of slavery. They are being held captive by a harsh taskmaster who is the devil, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy them. He wants to take them to the pit of hell. And there's only one way of escape, and that's by surrendering and believing in you, Lord. And I pray right now, if there's anyone listening to me right now, Father, that is enslaved by the devil, that is in bondage to Satan, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you, Lord God, would help them to cry out to you and that they might be saved and released from this prison. If you're listening to me right now and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus, but I want to do that here tonight. I don't want to remain in this state of bondage or slavery to sin. I want to be set free. And if that's you here tonight, just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I humble myself and I ask you, Jesus, to set me free. I realize that I am a sinner in bondage to the devil. But tonight, I cry out to you, Jesus, and I ask you 
to set me free. Forgive me of all my sins. Accept me as your son or daughter. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to pray for all of you that are Christians that are struggling out there. Let's pray for God to help you and to strengthen you and to encourage you. Father, in the name of Jesus, for all my Christian brothers and sisters out there, Lord God, that are struggling with any issue, any situation, any circumstance, we pray for them right now. And we ask you, Lord God, by the power of the Holy Spirit to touch them and encourage them and and minister to them. And Lord God, give them a hope and a future and let them know, Lord Jesus, that as we cry out to you, you will answer. You will give us the wisdom. You will give us the help and the direction that we need. We pray for our country right now, Lord, that you will help all those that are working on those reforms and on on correcting the ills of our country to come together, Lord Jesus, and that we, Lord God, together would build a greater, more powerful, more nurturing nation. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Amen.